Namaste, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to our <clears throat> session on the Yoga Sutras. And uh, just in our usual manner, so let's sit up nice and tall, comfortable, relaxed, eyes closed. recite Om three times. Take a deep inhalation. to Sage Patanjali and you can let me share the screen so you can look at the screen if you need to okay so here's the <clears throat> invocation to Sage Patanjali you can either Close the eyes and, and listen in, or you can read along or sing along. Let's inhale. Yogena chittasya padena vacham malam sharirasya chavadya kena yopakarotam pravaram muninam patanjalim pranjaliranatosmi. Patanjalim Pranjaliranatosmi Abahu Purushakaram Shankachakrasidharinam Sahasrashirasam Shvetam Pranamami Patanjalim So this is the invocation to pay our respect to Sage Patanjali. So one of you, Ashish, you want to read the, the English translation, please? Love. I respectfully bow down with folded hands and offer my salutations to Sage Patanjali, the highest among the Munis who has presented the remedies for removing the impurities <coughs> of the body through his treatise on Ayurveda, of language through his treatise on grammar, Pat Patanjala Mahabhashya, and the impurities of the Chitta through his treatise on Yoga Sutra. 
I bow to Patanjali, whose upper body is of human shape, who is carrying a conch, a discus, and a sword, and has thousand bright heads. Very good. Thank you. That's you know how Patanjali is kind of remembered for giving us all these three different sciences: Ayurveda, Yoga, and of course the grammar. And uh, <clears throat> uh, and it, it's very uh, it's, there's very little known about him, his personal life. There are all kinds of stories around, but nothing very authentic. <laughs> so not much is known about him. Personal life. Okay, so let's uh, uh, quickly let's go through our brief introductions. We always do that, and uh, just tell us your name, where you are located, and why did you decide to join this class? Okay, we can start with Eleanor. My name is Eleanor Lee. I live in Cary, North Carolina, and I'm here today to learn more about the yoga philosophy, the sutras, so I can apply it to my daily living. Thank you, Eleanor. Yeah, so I live in King of Prussia, it's the suburbs of Philadelphia. Uh, Nimesh, uh, he was in your class today this morning, so he used to be in King of Prussia a couple of years ago. We were together for a while. So he visited us this uh, long weekend, I believe. Uh, and that's when he talked about, hey, you know what? Uh, so we do study the Bhagavad Gita. We are part of a spiritual family that we call the Swadhyay Parivar. Mm -hmm. And so we do uh, look at it from the Bhakti side of it. But uh, even in the Bhagavad Gita, when you study, you know, there is something about the Swadhyay and uh, always uh, wanted to really understand what it was because uh, uh, as uh, you are aware, a lot of times it's more focused just on the asanas, but Dimesh said that, you know what, maybe you want to try this out. Maybe this is more inclusive of the Yoga Sutra and that, that uh, would give you a good perspective of uh, what it is, right? Reading is something else, but somebody who has practiced it and, you know, getting guidance through them might be something, you know, it, it's actually, it really makes uh, Understanding, but it is much easier, right? Uh, reading and trying to do it on your own is, you know, uh, I don't know whether we have that kind of lifetime to <laughs> try to understand everything from scratch, but if somebody who has practiced like you, uh, it was a pleasure. So I'm, I'm really actually enjoying it. Uh, it's a good, uh, uh, since it's inclusive of the asanas, the pranayam, as well as the philosophy, including the Yoga Sutra, it's, uh, it's really good, so. Something it's it's a like it's a journey right uh, uh, along and uh, so I'm uh, really enjoying it and glad uh, that Nimesh <laughs> uh, he he visited us that weekend and he said it's starting Monday I said all right I'll join uh, <laughs> that's and, good <laughs> and it is uh, it, it's 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 been really good uh, thank you thank, thank you for sending him down to King of Prussia <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Very nice of you to join. Yeah, wonderful. I'm so glad you're enjoying it. All right, Santan. You're, you're muted. You have to unmute. Yeah, okay. 
I'm Zantan uh, Krishnan. I am here in Kerry and uh, a student of yours, uh, Sue Weeks, she recommended uh, and sent uh, you for both the uh, attending the classes as well as uh, this uh, lecture course. So she sent me your emails. And uh, so this is the first time I'm encountering you as well as listening to this. But I'm not, uh, I'm very familiar with uh, Bhagavad Gita. I, I'm a student of Bhagavad Gita and every time somebody explains it to me or when I read it, I learn something new. So it's, it's you know, this is one thing, the spirituality of yoga and Bhagavad Gita is something that uh, uh, every time you repeat it, it is not the same thing. You always learn an insight that you didn't know before. So, um, <laughs> That's why I do this repetitively. <laughs> okay, so I uh, appreciate being here. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, forward. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining. Appreciate Sri mentioning about it. <laughs> okay. So, um, so in this uh, in this particular session, what we have been doing, and this started several months ago. And I, I go through uh, one sutra at a time. And then uh, for each sutra, we go through the Sanskrit first and then try to understand the meanings word by word and then try to kind of understand the best we can uh, what Patanjali might have <laughs> in his mind, okay? It's always very hard to interpret what exactly he had in mind because these, these sutras are extremely uh, terse, almost cryptic, very, very brief. And uh, every sutra is pregnant with a lot of different meanings and we just have to uh, do our best to decipher, you know, what's, what's included in these sutras. So, uh, I'm assuming you're somewhat familiar with the Yoga Sutras, it has four chapters, a total of 195 sutras. So, it's 195. And... Uh, uh, the first chapter is called Samadhi Pada, which is the definition of yoga and some of the other concepts of, about, about uh, uh, Samadhi, you know, the final state of yoga and how to go about getting the results of yoga, basically, objective of yoga. So that's first chapter. Then uh, Sadhana Pada is number two. Chapter number two is Sadhana, where it starts out with the concept of Kleshas, which is all the reasons for suffering, etc., And then he trans transitions to the eight limbs of yoga, which is called the Ashtanga Yoga. So that's what uh, <clears throat> we are kind of studying right now, Ashtanga, eight limbs of yoga. Starts out with the Yamas and Niyamas, which are the ethical, moral guidelines, etc. And then, of course, uh, we move on to chapter three, which is... Uh, uh, based on different types of meditation, what kind of supernormal powers that yoga can give us. Okay. Supernormal means they are beyond our normal human limits, basically. Okay. And then in chapter four, uh, Patanjali talks about more about this state that he has labeled as Kaivalya, which is the final state of yoga, which is to finally attain the state where you know who you are, your true nature, your true self, it's like a state of freedom, basically. Freedom from this bondage that we have uh, with this mind-body complex, with this material world. Okay, so that's the whole concept here. 
since both of you are very uh, familiar with the Gita, uh, many of the concepts are you know, fairly similar and they are common. You know, these concepts are common across all the uh, ancient scriptures, including the Vedas, Upanishads, Gita, Puranas, and all that. Basic concepts are very similar, no, no real difference. And the only, the main, the main, I would say, the uh, the concept which may be different from some of the other concepts in, in the yoga philosophy is that there are two realities identified in yoga. And of course, Sankhya. Sankhya is the, is the foundation for yoga, Sankhya philosophy. And in the Sankhya philosophy, they identify two realities, two entities which are both real and, uh, and they are eternal, basically. They have no beginning, no end. And they are the, the Purusha and Prakriti. Okay? Purusha is the, is the soul or the Atma or the, or the essence of our being, consciousness, you can call it. And Prakriti is the material aspect, you know, the physical being, mind, body, intellect, and all that, which is non-conscious. Okay? So the consciousness is only attributed to Purusha. Purusha is consciousness. Prakriti is inert, it has no consciousness. But then to function, they need to get close to each other so that Purusha can provide its consciousness as a reflection, like a reflection from a mirror, you know, of a light, so that the material being, the intellect, mind, etc., they can all function because to function, they need consciousness. Otherwise, nothing inert, entities cannot function the way we are doing now. Okay, so that's how the whole concept of yoga is kind of developed based on the concepts presented in the Sankhya philosophy, which is the, the most fundamental underlying philosophy of, of yoga. Okay. Many concepts from the Sankhya are, are taken over by Patanjali and used uh, for developing his own approach to, to the practice of yoga. Okay. So, <clears throat> so here, uh, what we did was initially we went through the chapter one, some parts of it, not the whole thing, initial portion of chapter one, which is the definition of yoga, etc. And then we moved on to chapter two, where we went through the entire concept of klesha, which is suffering, all the, the reasons for suffering, avidya, aspita, and all that, which is ignorance, ego, and, and, and the rest. And then in this chapter two also goes into a, a little more discussion of the Sankhya philosophy itself, you know, the underlying concepts that are also discussed in the, in the uh, chapter two. And then from there on, Patanjali goes on to say that, look, the cause of all this suffering that humans go through is avidya. Avidya is ignorance. Ignorance of what? Not knowing my true reality. When I have ignorance, then ego takes over and then ego begins to control our behavior, our, our actions and all that. And that causes all kinds of suffering, all kinds of problems. So then he says, look, uh, we have all this suffering because of the ego, because the intellect is not clean, not pure, not sufficiently powerful. So I'm going to give you these eight limbs of yoga and they will help you. It will help you clean your mind of all the garbage that you have up there, and then, uh, and you can enjoy life. You know, so he gives us these eight limbs of yoga called the Ashtanga Yoga. See, 
So the eight limbs of yoga, do you guys know what the eight limbs are? Can you name them? Eight limbs of yoga. The yamas, the niyams, the asanas, the pranayam, pratyahar, dharana, dhyan, and samadhi. Very good. Yeah. Excellent. So these are the eight limbs of yoga. And we went through uh, most of these. And finally, you know, we, right now in the, in the, in the topic of, of dharana, dhyan, and samadhi. Okay. So we're understanding the final eight, final three of the eight limbs of yoga. Okay. So that's what we started last time. Understanding the concept of, of samadhi and meditation. So very Quickly, since we did this last time, uh, I'm going to give you a very, very quick overview of where we are. So, you know, in the in the third chapter, it starts by defining what dharana is. You know, we said there are three stages of meditation: dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. So, dharana is defined. Oh, let me. Share the screen. I don't think you are seeing that screen. Hold on a second. Okay. So uh, you can see that screen, right? Okay. So hold on a second. Let me get rid of the other stuff. All right. So this is uh, the definition of dharana. Dharana is concentration, is the confining of the mind within a limited area. The, the word used is desha. Desha literally means a physical location. That's the, the literal meaning of the word desha. But I have used these translations by mostly, most of my translations that I have presented here are by Swami Sachidananda. Uh, so sometimes you will find there is a slight difference in interpretation of what the words might mean. So desha, though it means a physical location, he has uh, translated as his mental area. Uh, it's not strictly correct, but uh, like I said, everyone has their own interpretation. That's that's the beauty of these uh, translations, as well as <laughs> as well as a confusion, the part confu that confuses people because. Every, every uh, commentator has their own interpretation and some of them are you know, different from each other. All right. So here, what we're saying is that the ability to bind bandha, bandha means bind, bind the mind to a certain place, physical location, desha, okay? And many commentators say, okay, this could be the you know, the physical location of third eye or the Ajna Chakra as they call it or the Shuddhi Chakra or heart center, you know, some of those areas or you can have focus on the nasal, tip of the nose, etc. etc. Or you can have uh, concentration on an image of a physical object that you might have in your mind. Those are the kind of concept, concepts that people have talked about. And Dhyana, Dhyana is the, the meditation, actual practice of meditation which is the uh, pratyaya ekatanata. That's the word used here. Pratyaya ekatanata. Pratyaya is the content of the mind, and ekatanata means one pointedness. Ek, ek means one. Tan is two. The word tan means stretch something, stretch. 
So ekatanata is stretching something for a period of time, for a length of time. And that is the uninterrupted flow of the mind towards the object of meditation is dhyana, okay? contemplation or meditation. So that's the second part. And then samadhi is defined as tadeva arthamatra nirbhasam swarupa shunyam eva samadhi. So here, uh, what he's saying is uh, that that meditation, means that meditation, this practice of meditation that was talked about in the previous sutra, when it becomes so intense that only the arthamatra, arthamatra means the very essence of the meaning of that object of meditation that you have in mind, arthamatra. Matra means only, nothing else. Artha is the essence. Artha means the essence of what you have been talking about, thinking about, you have in your mind. Only that shines across. Nirbhasa means shine. Bhas, bhas means to shine something. Okay. So nirbhasa is whatever shines through that. Only the essence of what you are focusing on that shines through. Nothing else. And swarupa shunyam. Swarup means your own form, your own nature. Shunya means uh, absence. Shunya means nothingness, absence, zero. Zero is also called shunya. So when the, when the meditation is so deep, so focused, that you lose awareness of the fact that you are meditating. That, that's the meaning of swarupa shunyam. You're not even aware that you're meditating. You lose track of your own being, your own essence, your own the fact that you're meditating, that also doesn't exist. Okay? That's meditation. Uh, that's the final state, which is called samadhi. So you are deeply, totally, 100% engrossed in your object. Okay? And then we said, you know, when you do these all together, it's called sanyama. You know, that's just the technical term Patanjali has given us when we do them together, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. Then we went through the, the four different stages of samadhi. So what Patanjali has done, he has divided the state of samadhi into two categories. Okay. What are these two categories? One he calls sampragnata samadhi. The other he calls asampragnata samadhi. Okay. All right. So when we have an object in our mind, right? When we have something as it's called an alambana. Alambana means a support. We have something that we're using as a support for our meditation, which is called a an object of meditation. You can think of it that way. Whether it's an image of some, some deity, whether it's a sound, whether it's a smell, or whatever you have picked. Most people pick a mantra, as you know. You know so mantra meditation is a very common form of meditation. But it doesn't matter what Patanjali doesn't tell you specifically what you should use. He says anything is okay. But when you have been able to totally engross yourself in that object, okay, that's the state of samadhi. But then there are gradations of samadhi. Okay? So 
most people tend to focus on a gross aspect in the beginning. It's much easier. It's more natural to pick some gross aspect of whatever you're thinking about. And of course, you know, surprisingly, uh, the commentator Vyasa. Vyasa is the most authoritative commentator on yoga. You know, his his commentary is considered to be the most authentic, most original, and the most reliable. So most people use his commentary as the as the base for understanding uh, yoga. And he, in his commentary, has given a, an example of a cow, <laughs> a cow as the object of meditation. I, I, I always laugh at it because. Who in their right mind would pick a cow for meditation? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just thinking aloud. But anyway, he has given the example of a cow. And uh, so he says that, you know, look, a cow, you can think of it uh, as a gross object. Then there are subtle elements of that, of that object. And there are subtler and eventually subtlest. Okay. So when you, when you are able to focus on a gross aspect, it's called Vitarka Samadhi. So he's, he has actually divided into Vitarka, Vichara, Ananda, and Asmita. Okay? So these are the four stages of Samadhi that you can think of. Okay? So Vitarka is absorption with awareness at the gross level. Vichara is subtle level. And uh, Ananda is bliss, Asmita is eye sense, pure eye sense. Pure eye sense means that you have now come to a point where only that feeling that I exist, that's all that remains, I am. Okay, I am, I, I, Asmita means I amness. Asmi in Sanskrit means I am. And when you add the suffix ta, Asmita means that quality of being I am. So you can translate that as I am-ness. Okay. Pure essence. The way you can understand that concept of I am is normally in our day-to-day -day usage, I am is an incomplete sentence because you have to add something. I am eating, I am a father, I am a CEO, you know, I am rich, I am ugly, you know, I'm happy. I'm. So you have to add either a noun or an adjective to complete the sentence after I am, okay? But when you say asmita as a pure I sense, then you have to think of I am as a full sentence, period after that. I am, period. That's it. You have gone beyond any identification of I am with anything else, because you are nothing beyond that. You're pure being, pure essence as you are. Okay. So when we get to that point where I am becomes a full sentence, you reach that state of pure being, free from any identification with this mind-body complex, as they say. Okay. So that's the final state of the samadhi. So there are four stages of samadhi. All right. And then, of course, what Patanjali says in the next one is that Virama Pratyaya Bhyas Purvaha Sanskara Shesaha Anyaha. Anyaha means other. 
so the other other state other state of samadhi it doesn't give you a name but everyone calls it a sampragnyata the previous one was sampragnyata this is a sampragnyata where you have gone beyond that object of meditation now and now you are able to get into a state where you have no need for that object of meditation because you are in a pure state of ultimate peace and quiet and and the only thing that remains in your mind is an impression of that nothingness <laughs> it's called a sanskara I mean, there is everything that comes to the mind creates an impression in the mind we know that right sanskara anything but then you have been going through this process of cleaning cleansing and all the other samskaras have become useless now they are not effective at all the only samskara that remains in the mind is that samskara of final thought which is nothingness even the object of meditation has gone away from your mind now okay that's the ultimate state of asampragnyata samadhi okay so that's what we went through last and the remnant impression left in the mind on the dropping of the pratyaya or the content of the mind that's called asampragnyata samadhi that's also patanjali at a later stage it calls the nirbija samadhi that's what name he has given in a later uh, sutra nirbija bija is a seed nirbija means without seed okay so that now we have nothing that can come up in the mind as a seed as you know when you when you have a seed planted somewhere if you have the right environment it's going to grow into some fruits right some some tree plant or whatever but if that seed becomes totally <clears throat> uh ineffective so to say patan divyasa you know commentator calls it dagdha bija that's the, the word he uses dagdha bija dagdha means burnt something that has been roasted burnt <laughs> so roasted seed so that means it will not bring about any fruit any fruit okay so that's the asampragnyata samadhi so remember there are three uh, there are uh, four stages of samadhi that he has talked about vitarka vitarka means gross object vichara vichara is subtle something more subtler than the gross and then there is anand and asmita okay now to understand the concept of gross and subtle you kind of have to go back to the to the sankhya philosophy okay because sankhya tells us what what are we composed of okay so i'm going to take you back to a slide which i have shown a, a slide where we have shown the the sankhya concept no not this one where is that okay i have to hold on a second i need to go back to a different slide so let me bring that up just give me a second i thought i had it on my screen but i don't let me see uh Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so I'm going to share the screen now with you just to show you the uh, the concept of of, of uh, what gross is, what subtle is, etc. And this will take us to this the Sankhya chart. <clears throat> okay, so here <clears throat> what I have uh, depicted is how Sankhya presents this whole being. Okay. This being means our, our human being, uh, which has mind, body, intellect, and all the other functions. Okay. So essentially, it's all about talking about 25 elements. They are called tattva. Okay. Are you familiar with this at all? Because I should not be, I don't want to repeat it if you're familiar with it. Uh, Ashish and Santan. Yes, so we have uh, heard, read about it, heard about it. Uh, I am uh, not very familiar with it. I am vaguely familiar with it. Okay. Well, let me just then quickly kind of go through it. Yeah. Also, is that a mistake on there? Because you've got 23 in one place and 25 in another. Yeah, so it's evolution of 23 elements and you need 25 for that evolution. Okay. Okay. The 23 elements are called evolutes. They, are, they have evolved. But from what they have evolved, those two, they are added to, to make it 25. So you're counting the Purush and the Prakriti is 24 25? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. So here we start with this uh, Purusha, which is the soul or the consciousness. And I've shown it connected with a dotted line. It's not a solid connection, but it's a dotted connection with Prakriti. Okay. Prakriti is the, is the original uh, source of this material creation, Prakriti. Okay. In its unmanifest state, it's a balanced state of the three gunas, as they're called Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas. Okay. Now, because of this proximity of Purusha with Prakriti, there comes a time when this, this balance is disturbed. And rajas takes over. Rajas is the quality of action. Okay, so when rajas takes over, then action happens. And this action is to produce these 23 elements. That's how it is depicted in the Sankhya philosophy. So the first element that gets produced is mahat or the buddhi, which is the intellect. From mahat, there's ahankara, ego, or the self-identity. And ahankara branches into two different categories. One is the sattva branch, and the other is the tamasic branch. And they are both propelled by rajas. So the guna rajas is required to make any action happen. Okay, so sattva, using the influence of rajas, creates these, these 11 elements. And, and ahankara using the rajas and tamas part, it, use, it brings about five tanmatras. Okay. So what are these now? <clears throat> buddhi is the intellect. Buddhi is the, is the function that, that makes decisions, that has the ability to discriminate between right and wrong, etc. That's buddhi. Ahankara is, as we know, is the ego, which is, you know, 
gives us an eye sense, you know, I am this, I am that, etc. All right. And then uh, sattva, uh, you know, it creates these 11 elements, the mind, then the five sense organs, which is called the jnanendriya, eye, ear, nose, skin, and the tongue. And then five organs of action, hands, feet, speech, elimination, and procreation. So these are the 11. And then uh, five tanmatras. Tanmatras are the subtle sense perception, the sense of sound, touch, form, taste, and smell. But in, in, in its succession now, these five produce these five gross elements. So shabda or sound produces space, touch produces air, form produces fire, taste produces water, and smell produces earth. So these are called the five Mahabhutas. And if we, you know, when we look at our human body, the physical aspect of the body, you know, the physical structure is a composite of these five elements. That's called the Mahabhutas. Okay. So, you know, when, when, when we say that uh, when a person dies, you know, he gets merged back into these five Mahabhutas. You know, that's how we explain birth and death. Because when you, when you are born, you're born with this combination of these five Mahabhutas into the physical being. And when you die, this physical structure goes and merges back into these elements. Okay, that's how we define birth and death. But then along with this physical body, this whole thing is called the subtle body and that gets attached to it. Okay, so that's how the, the whole concept of the the 25 elements is given in the, in the Sankhya philosophy. And this is an important concept because this comes up in, in, in almost all discussions eventually. All right. Let me go back and close this. Let's see if I can get back to my original screen. <laughs> Uh, where is that now? Oh boy, I lost it. Ah, there it is. Okay. All right, let me over to slide that otherwise on. Okay, so this is where we were, right? Asampragyata samadhi. <clears throat> so this is when, <clears throat> when you have attained a state which is free of any remnant of the object of meditation. That's gone. And you have now so completely merged with yourself that you are all pure essence, pure, pure being, nothing else. Okay, so that's the time when you have re recognized your true identity, true being, true essence. And that state Patanjali has later on called Kaivalya. 
K-A-I-V-A-L-Y-A, Kaivalya, state of Kaivalya, which can be loosely translated as freedom, you can call it, freedom from bondage. Bondage because when, the, when there is ignorance, when there is avidya, then the purusha is bound, is bound to this mind, body, intellect complex, and it doesn't recognize itself as being free. And then it's, it feels that it is in, it is having all the bhoga. Bhoga is all the experiences of life, good, bad, pleasant, unpleasant, all that is going on. And, and this purusha, even though supposedly very free and free of any action or free of any experience, but it does feel that it is experiencing all this. So it feels that I'm in pain, it feels that I'm happy and all that because of that bondage. And in some other <clears throat> terminologies, some other texts, like, like uh, uh, in the Vedanta text, and all that, that aspect is called the jiva. You, I'm sure you've heard the term jiva. Are you familiar with the term jiva? Yes. What is jiva in your understanding? Um, it's very broadly, it is life. Life in what sense? What's Jiva? Ashish, you have a thought on Jiva? Uh, so my understanding from what I think it's, uh, you know, uh, the soul that has uh, still not purified in the sense is con uh, still the ego, uh, but self in the sense, more self rather than a universal perspective of the existence, right? Uh, it's my ego, my asmita, compared to where a soul is more universal in uh, applicability. So that's uh, that's roughly the idea. And jiva, jiva is when this purusha, when this soul is is bound to the to the material part, and, and it starts feeling that I am I am experiencing life, that I have this experience of pleasure and pain. And I'm going through suffering and all that. So, so, so what you said, life, Santan is the concept here is that this Purusha feels that it is experiencing life. And that bound uh, concept of Purusha, that's called Jiva in the Vedanta literature. Okay? okay. Most of the Vedanta literature, they'll call it the Jiva. Okay. But Patanjali doesn't use the term Jiva at all anywhere. He just says Purusha, but then he says it's a bound Purusha, okay? Which is hmm. limited Purusha, you can call it. Okay. So, so I have a question. Yes. So is this state of Samadhi, is that, is this like the final goal when you're close to enlightenment? Or Yes, yes that's the final goal. And you are you're there, basically. <laughs> That's I'm, I'm assuming that you don't experience it all the time. It's uh, it runs. No, it's not experienced all the time at all. But once you're there, and if you can sustain it for some time, then it becomes fairly ubiquitous in your life. And you know, and then you, you're considered to be uh, fully realized. That's, that's what's called self realization okay. and I see Raj joined Raj you want to turn your video on 
Ah, there you are. <laughs> Very good. Welcome, welcome, Raj. Good to see you. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so that's you know the concept of of samadhi, where we have, like I said, different stages of samadhi, and we'll continue the discussion from here on now. This is up to where we were last week. I mean, in the last session, last month. So, uh, just to kind of bring you up to date. If you have any thoughts or questions anytime, please, please interrupt. Don't hesitate. Oh, are, are, we, are we going away from the concept of samadhi right now? No, 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 we are not. Okay, because one of my one a question I have is, and perhaps it's answered later, in the vernacular, in the common vernacular, when a Swamiji, they say, has attained samadhi, actually, he, that is the end of his life. Right. Mm -hmm. And is that concept part of the, it came out of the Yoga Sutra? No, 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 no. That, okay. that they, they call it Mahasamadhi. Actually, the term most commonly used is Mahasamadhi. Okay. When, you know, when a person dies, they claim that it, he has attained Mahasamadhi. Okay. And Mahasamadhi is usually attributed to a person who has lived a good life and, and he has lived a very uh, uh, sort of a saintly life. And the assumption is that at that point, he has attained uh, nirvana or, or, or liberation. Nobody knows yeah. that, okay, whether what's true. But that's just to give a, a, it's a respectful way of saying that he has died, basically. Mahasamadhi. I see, okay. It, it, it not, that has nothing to do with the kind of samadhi that we are talking about. Right, but uh, I'm, I'm also conscious of the, usually the word samadhi is used with... Uh, uh, ascetics and and people who have lived a very ascetic uh, sattvic life. Okay. I mean, you have to live a sattvic life to attain and that kind of state of samadhi. But then there are you know in our even in other in all culture, there are so many instances of people who are not ascetics living on the Himalayas or in isolation in death. They have attained the states of samadhi, deep states of samadhi. You know, there are so many instances. Okay. Even, even people like saints like Mirabai and, uh, you know, there are Sant Jnaneshwara and uh, even people like Raman Maharishi or Param Paramahansa, you know. Right. All these people, they were not necessarily uh, people, uh, you know, ascetics and living separate lives, but... In the ancient times, you know, they always give the example of King Sita's father, King Janaka, right? Mm -hmm. And he was supposed to be a realized saint, basically. That's why they call him Rajashi. He was Raja, he was a king, and yet he was a Rishi. I see, okay. They call him Rajashi, right? That's the term they use for, for people like for Janaka. And there are many others, many others right. who are leading a regular householder's life, leading a, a life which involves interaction with people and doing a job and all that. And yet you are able to, uh, to get enlightened. Okay. So those people are, those examples are there. So, and then Patanjali doesn't say that you have to go and, and live in Himalayas. You know, this, his yoga sutras is meant for everybody. <laughs> 
that's why we are grateful that you you and i can you know take part <laughs> and hopefully then we uh, we are not isolated we are not uh, isolated yeah. we are not prevent, prevented from following this this path <laughs> okay <clears throat> so now we continue the <clears throat> the discussion for some more sutras so this one <clears throat> excuse me is the next one so like i said i will read the sanskrit first and then we'll go through the the meaning word by word the sanskrit is bhava pratyaya do you want to repeat after me you can even mute yourself and then repeat after me if you feel like bhava pratyaya bhava pratyaya videha videha prakriti laya naam prakriti laya naam right so this is the sutra which says bhava pratyaya and uh, this is defining two kinds of people one they are called videhas and the second category of people prakriti laya prakriti laya okay so who are these people okay and what what do they attain <laughs> the concept is to attain what did we talk about samadhi either sampragnyata samadhi or sampragnyata or sampragnyata you know one you know, either level of samadhi now <clears throat> how do you get there etc etc those are the kind of things that patanjali is going to talk about now but he first talks about these two categories of people videha and prakriti laya for those people for those people what happens bhava pratyaya bhava means birth okay? bhava means birth now the word pratyaya ha uh its commentators guess what it could mean right every commentator has a different understanding of what this word bhava pratyaya means but basically for these people who are called videha which is disembodied that means they have uh they have lost uh they have uh this they have unidentified unidentified themselves from the body so they are called disembodied and prakriti laya laya means absorption so they are fully and deeply absorbed in prakriti at some aspect of prakriti okay so for the disembodied and the those merged in prakriti rebirth is the cause for liberation bhava bhava means janma bhava means birth okay and pratyaya here has been translated as cause all right so let's read my notes here so the first thing if you read the commentaries by different people you will realize there is a vast disparity among commentators as to what these words mean everyone has their own understanding their own interpretation bhava is at the cause some people say bhava is ignorance some people say it is birth some people say it is the cycle of birth death and rebirth which is called samsara so every commentator <laughs> has a different interpretation so it is fun to read these sutras and try to understand yourself what it might mean okay patanjali doesn't give you too much detail same thing pratyaya some people call it the content of the mind some say it is samadhi which kind of samadhi whether it is sampragnyata or asampragnyata we don't know videha 
what level of samadhi when do you call it when do you call yourself a videha how far do you have to reach some say ananda level some say lower levels same thing with prakriti layer when do you arrive at that state okay so again a uh, very different ways to understand and interpret these sutras right and it, it's it, it's a struggle but it's a joyful struggle because you learn a lot in the process <laughs> because you read different commentators and you start building your own understanding and sort of like they said it's a journey and a joyful journey so you learn a lot okay sorry when they say about you're not the body in the previous page you mentioned right, right? that's just a concept level right yeah. like it, they're still in the body but they it's just a definition that i'm not the body right. i'm just the soul right 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 it's right. just a concept in the mind it's not that they're given up the body no it's not that they're given up the body it's it's a it's an un, it's a level of understanding not just a concept but you have understood the whole idea that you should not be identifying yourself with the body right and and that's the concept of of this videha okay but then they have reached a certain level of samadhi at that point and when they die okay that's what they say you know they again in samadhi commentaries they say okay as a videha when you die you'll get to a certain certain loka as they call it <laughs> you know there are i'm sure some of you have heard this term seven lokas are you familiar with the term seven lokas can you name some of them <laughs> what are the seven lokas in fact there are 14 seven above and seven below yes yes so there are 14 atal vital sutal talatal ralatal then then bhu bhuva swaha i don't remember them on but it's uh... <laughs> and i think that in the the pupus who i think the last one i think if it's not wrong it's it's it is ananda uh, satya satya lok satya satya there you go satya okay pupus vaha jana uh, even i forget all the names but yeah, there are uh, seven lokas uh, and the the satya loka is the highest some people call that loka brahma loka also satya loka is also called brahma loka okay but what these commentators are saying is that you know as a videha you'll go to some loka okay whether it is uh, uh, jana loka or tap loka then you know, jana loka tap loka satya loka eventually as a videha you have attained a certain level of uh, of meditational uh, uh, maturity and then you'll stay in that loka for some time and then come back because you have to come back to attain final liberation you have to come back same thing with prakriti laya there is slightly higher level they say okay and then you go to some other higher level of of loka now the question is what level they are every commentator feels differently so what i kind of settled down with is this understanding so videha after giving up their body identification they achieve ananda level samadhi remember we said there are four levels of samadhi vitarka vichara ananda and asmita Okay, so one commentator says it's the Ananda level samadhi that they attain, and then they give up their body; they they die. Okay, I tend to kind of feel more comfortable with this interpretation. So this is what I presented here, what I am comfortable with. 
okay? And then the prakriti laya is the, is the ones that they attain the highest level at the sampragyata level, which is the asmita. Remember I said, I amness. That's the final state in the sampragyata samadhi. An, vitarka vichar, ananda and asmita. So these people have attained a level which is all the way up to the asmita level. They still haven't gone to the asampragyata. Still at the level of sampragyata, which is seed-based, which is based on the object of meditation. Keep that in mind. Okay, and they will go to different lokas and then stay there and come back, okay? But then when they do come back, when their bhava happens, bhava means rebirth, okay? Then they can start from where they left off and they can still attain final attainment of the asampragyata samadhi, okay? So that's the bhava pratyaya. The word pratyaya, like I said, has so many different meanings and interpretations. Uh, uh, people have called called it the cause for 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 uh, liberation. Pratyaya is the is the content of the mind, and that brings them to this bhava state, and they are ready for for uh, uh, re, for full liberation, etc. Okay, so they have because they have already achieved a high level of samadhi in the previous birth. Now they can easily attain the seedless or the asampragyata samadhi in this birth. Okay. And they don't need to go through the methods given in Sutra 120, which is the next Sutra, okay? So we'll come to that. So this is, I'm also giving you a, a kind of a, a feel for how different every interpretation is in these Yoga Sutras. You read five different commentaries, you will get five different answers. Okay, so for the rest of us, what do we do now? <laughs> So we, we are not Videha, we are not Prakriti Laya, we are, the, we are the common crowd, what do we do? Okay, so for them he says, let me read this, this sutra, if you want to repeat after me, please do so. Shraddha, Shraddha, Virya, Virya, Smriti, Smriti, Samadhi, Samadhi, Rajna Purvakaha, Rajna Purvakya, Itaresham, Itaresham. Okay, so that's the, the, the Sanskrit uh, phrase. Shraddha, Virya, Smriti, Samadhi, Pragna, Purvakaha, Itaresham. Okay. Itaresham means, itar means others, for the others. That means, others means accepting the Videha and Prakriti Laya, which was defined in the previous sutra. So you, you leave these two out, Videha and Prakriti Laya. For the rest of us, Itaresham. What do we have to do? We have to have Shraddha, Virya, we have to have Smriti, Samadhi, and eventually Pragna. That's the only way for us to gain final liberation. All right. So what is Shraddha? Most of you have heard the term Shraddha. It's a common word used in our, uh, in our vernacular, you know, in Hindi language or wherever you are from. Believing from deep down. Shraddha, believing from deep down. What else? What else does it mean? Any, any other thoughts that come up when you hear the word Shraddha? Nothing in, nothing in return. Shraddha. Anybody else? Shraddha, what does it mean? Attention. Attention in what form? 
its uh, understanding, its knowledge and attention to the meaning of things. Knowledge. That's knowledge, that's jnana more than shraddha. Knowledge is jnana. Maybe it's a, it's a firm belief into some uh, following, right? Firm belief, yeah, shraddha. Shrad. So the word is shrad and bha. You know, this is, um, this is how you'll break that word into, into different words in, in Sanskrit. The word shrat means truth, truth, okay? And dha means to, to position something. So to place something, dha. So those are the two words that comprise this shraddha. Basically, uh, a deep belief in something being true. So you have positioned something as truthful based on something. That's Radha. So you have firm belief in something, some principle, some concept, and you believe that to be true. That's Shraddha. Okay. You can like firm conviction or faith, trust. Okay. Based on prop, like, like you said, something based on knowledge and understanding, not blind, not blind faith. Based on proper understanding, Shrat, you have understood the truth, and then you place your faith in that truth, Shraddha. Virya means, Virya we know, Virya is, you know, Virya Vaan, you know, one who has full, one who's full of vigor and vitality and, and an inner strength as they call it, Virya. Okay. Smriti, Smriti means memory basically, memory of what? Okay, so we have gone through Shraddha, we had a firm conviction that what we are doing is absolutely the right thing to do. We have firm belief, firm uh, trust in what we are doing. And that, because of that firm belief, we, we gained some virya, we gained some, some uh, vitality, okay, some firmness in our approach. And so we are now establishing our mind that this is my goal. This is my goal to attain self-realization or liberation. And I have a strong memory of that goal in my mind all the time. That is Smriti. Okay, so that goal that I have created based on my Shraddha and Virya, that objective of attaining final freedom from this bondage, that's called Smriti. And how do you, and then finally, when you have that goal in mind, you lead, you kind of start, you know, to practicing the eight limbs of yoga and you finally get into the state of Samadhi, okay, or, or practicing Samadhi, the different stages of Samadhi, and all these uh, four or five stages that Patanjali has described, Samadhi. And then when you have practiced Samadhi, you get into this, of this uh, state of being uh, Pragnavan, as they call it, Pragna. Pragna is what? Pragna is pure wisdom now, okay? That's uncluttered wisdom, not cluttered by anything that is stored in your memory, not cluttered by anything that the ego wants to put on you. It is pure wisdom. Wisdom, it's called discriminatory wisdom, right? It's also called Viveka in Sanskrit, Viveka. Viveka means you have now understood your true reality and you are able to distinguish between real and unreal, between uh, what is true and what is untrue, which is between what is permanent and which is non-permanent, all that 
is, is something that you have now begun to understand. And that, is the, that leads you to the state of Kaivalya or the state of final, uh, uh, you can call it self-realization. Okay, so that's the, the, the states or uh, the, the, the qualities that you need, Shraddha, Virya, Smriti, Samadhi, Pragya, Purvakaha, Itareshaam. Itareshaam is for the others, for the rest of us. Okay. Okay, so Itresham is regular yogis, dot videhas, or prathilayas. These five techniques, or they are called upayas. Vyasa calls them upaya. Upaya means uh, means to get something. Techniques can lead to the asampragyat or the seedless samadhi. Shraddha is the firm conviction and faith in the goal we seek. Virya is the strong will, determination, vigor, etc. Smriti is keeping the goal constantly in mind. And uh, Samadhi is the memory of our goal and staying one pointed on it through meditation leads to Samadhi. And then through constant practice, we become egoless and attain this term they use is discriminatory wisdom. Discriminatory means we are able to discriminate between right and wrong, etc. Okay, so those are the concepts of of, of shraddha, etc. Yeah, first four can be also like for any goal setting, right? Yeah, yeah. You apply them to your life. <laughs> Again, Patanjali, you know, so the egoless part is the one that I'm not sure how it connects to those. Well, ego. As long as we have ego interfering with our, with, with our all our activities, then we are in trouble because ego always brings up samskaras from the past, and as as long as we have uh, samskaras which are influencing our life, we are in trouble because samskaras are all, you know, they are also called vasanas. Vasana is all the desires that we have, all the likes and dislikes. That's what ego brings about. Oh, I like this. I hate this. I love it. I don't want it. And when you have your actions uh, controlled by those desires and likes and dislikes, we call raga and dvesha. Some of you have heard this term, raga and dvesha. If you're controlled by that, you're in trouble. So we want to become, when I say egoless, it doesn't mean you lose your ego. It means the negative influence of the ego is lost. Negative influence. Ego has has a role to play. <laughs> don't get, get me wrong. You know, Patanjali is not saying you don't need the ego. You need the ego. Ego has a certain role to play. We want to limit that role to what it is meant to, to do. Not dictate, oh, oh, I like this, I don't like it, I, I you know, I, I can't go to this uh, this place or something like that. So first one as Shraddha, how do you know it came from the truth? I mean, it could be that you started believing in something, it may be actually false, right? Absolutely, you're right. And that this, this is all a plan. It's all a process of constant cleansing, purifying our memory, our mind. It's constantly going on. You you do this, then you suddenly come to a roadblock. Oh my God, I had it wrong. I had it all wrong. Let me go back. Start cleansing it slowly. That's why it's not a it's not a short term thing. It's a long term thing. It's an iterative process. You have shraddha in something. It turns out to be wrong eventually. Yes, okay, go back, modify it, go back to the whole process. 
Shubhashi, so just to understand this, so uh, where does the how like how do how do these three connect the Videha stage, the Prakriti layer, as to for the Itareya? Itareshan, yeah. Yes. So, so again, what we are saying is that you have you know through all this practice, right? Yes. Practice all this, and we attain a certain level of spiritual understanding, right? Okay. Let's say we get to a state which we call Ananda level Samadhi. Okay. And through all these practices, we attain this state of level uh, Samadhi called Ananda, right? Okay. What the, Again, the commentator that I have agreed with or I have understood to, to be the right understanding for me, if you die at that time, you will be called a Videha. Okay. And if you if you go a little step further, you you die at the state of asmita level samadhi, then you will be labeled as a prakriti laya. Okay, so if I so to summarize it, uh, whoever is not like let's say the rebirth happens and who has not reached that level, so these are like these are the uh, the for uh, the process to follow. Yes. You could reach the final, or you could reach one of the other two, and then the cycle continues. That's right. That's exactly okay. right. Yep, yep. Okay. So that's the concept of the people who have not attained the states of Videha and Prakriti Laya. All right. These are just some statements which I don't want to spend too much time. So this one is Tivra Samvega Nam. You want to repeat after me? Tivra Samvega Nam. So the word asannaha means nearby, close by. Asannaha means something which is right next to you, right close by. Asannaha. Now, tivra means strong. Tivra, some of you might know this word, tivra means very strong. Samvega naam. So samvega is... Again, Vega means speed. Some Vega means uh, very strong kind of a desire. Some Vega. So who, those, some Vega Nam is those who have, those who have a very strong, very intense desire to attain their goal. For them, it's nearby. What is nearby? We're all talking about Samadhi, the ultimate state of Samadhi. Okay. So that's implied by this statement that for them, it is near. All it, this, this sutra is saying, for those who have a strong samvega, who have a strong desire for attaining the final goal of liberation, it is near. What is near? <laughs> samadhi, ultimate samadhi. Okay. That's understood, right? So, fever uh, is intense and strong. Samvega, uh, strong you can say desire for uh, gaining something. It's a momentum. I, I like the word momentum here. Samvega means strong momentum. Okay. And momentum for what? To attain my goal. I have already started this process. I'm on this spiritual journey and have a real strong desire to attain my goal. You know, in the, in the Gita and other scriptures, they call, they have a term used, mumukshu. Anybody heard the term mumukshu? 
most of the time they use in Gita. What, what does it mean? Anybody know what Mumukshu mean? Free of desires, sort of. No, 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 no. Mukshu. Mumukshu. You know, it comes, uh, you heard the term moksha, right? Yes. What is moksha? Free from bondages, sort of? Free from freedom, freedom from bondage, moksha, freedom from life, basically, some freedom from sansara. That's moksha. And mumukshu is one who has a strong, very strong desire for liberation, for final liberation. That's called mumukshu. That's the word they use in Gita. Okay. And for them, he has used the word Tivra Samvega Nam. Tivra Samvega. The one who is very strongly desirous of liberation. Okay. So the strong desire, this, this commentator, he says, an example is after sunset, a person in a forest that has wild animals, this person has an intense desire to get out of the forest as quickly as he can, because he doesn't want to stay there in darkness. And he also needs to know the way out. So this is the kind of intense desire that you want for liberation. He wants liberation from this forest. If he stays in the dark, he might be eaten up by the animals. So a yogi's approach is very similar. He needs to, he needs to have a strong desire, but that itself is not enough. The desire is not enough, right? You need to know how to get there. <laughs> the technique, the process, the methodology, you know, all that needs to be known and understood. Okay, then only the desire will be of any value. You can have a strong desire, but unless you know how to get there, <laughs> it doesn't help much. Okay. All right. So... So now he's qualifying, you know, what does this mean to have a desire and all that. So he says there are three uh, categories of desire also, okay. So the words are, you can repeat after me, Mridu, Mridu. Madhya, Madhya. Adhimatratvat, Tatopi, Visheshaha. Okay, so here, even tatopi means even among those, even among the uh, even among the people, you know, who have this strong desire, tatopi means among those also there is some categorization, there is some differentiation, visheshaha. And what's that categorization? Their desire can be either mridu, madhya, or adhimatra. <laughs> you know, when you go to uh, uh, sandwich shop or a pizza shop, you know, they say mild, medium or strong, you know, they, they're asking, how do you want your, your food cooked mild, medium or strong? This is exactly that, mild, medium or strong. So your desire for liberation can be either mild or medium or very strong. So that will differentiate your progress in your spiritual journey. Okay, this is a very kind of simplistic statement, I think. So intensity of the last sutra is distinguished as being mild, medium, or strong. And then, of course, attainment of samadhi will be respectively near, nearer and nearest. Asana, how close? That, that will determine. That will be determined by this. Okay. All right.
Okay, so now I think we are coming to a slightly different topic and, and it's almost four o'clock. So let's pause here. I'm going to stop here, but uh, please, I would love to hear your thoughts, comments or questions right now. Anybody have any thoughts to share? Any comments? No, thank you for going through the earlier, getting us familiar with the earlier part of the sutra. So that was helpful. My pleasure. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Any other comment? No, thank you. That have we have. You now you covered quite a few concepts and uh, and and meanings. So uh, that's a lot to think about. That's uh, appreciated. Your, your explanations are very clear. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, a question, Tha. Like, in the this whole, you know, study of this, you. I mean, I talked. I asked you about the, how do you know something was true, and you said you can try it, and then you can always, you know like fix it, go back and, but is there a, like a base set that you start with saying, okay, these are the things that we know are true. And well, so any comments on that? Like, well, you know, uh, again, you have to go back to these scriptures, right? And first of all, the scriptures tell us that there is a Purusha. How do I know there is a Purusha, right? <laughs> How do I know there's a Purusha? I don't know. I have never, never experienced it. I've never seen it. I have no feel for that Purusha, right? They say, I am a Purusha. Right now, I'm feeling pain in my life, you know. I have, I lose a member of my family, I'm in pain, I suffer. I lose money in my stock market, I suffer. I lose a job, I suffer. Now I'm, you know, I'm being told that I'm Purusha, that means I should not suffer. How do I know that? Now, you have to go back and, and read these texts called the Vedas and Upanishads because they are the ones which tell us that there's, there's, there's this element, this entity called the, the, the Atma or the soul or the Purusha, which is the ultimate reality. Now you have to start trusting in that wisdom of the, of the Upanishads and use that as your starting point and kind of go backwards now. All right, okay, so now I'm already given this concept that Purusha exists. There's, a, there's an element called Purusha, and I am that Purusha. Now I have to go and find out how that is, okay? So you start with that Shraddha. That's the truth that you start with. Shrat means truth. And then you put your faith in that Dha. Dha means to place something firmly in there. Shraddha, right? So you put your faith in there. Because it is mentioned in our scriptures, because it's given in our Upanishads and, and, and maybe Bhagavad Gita and all that. Put your trust in that and then start building from, you know, from step one. And again, you may falter. You may, you may find that, oh my God, I've come to a place where, you know, I, I know nothing. I'm lost. Go back. <laughs> Re restart. Put, put something different on your, on your plate. That's what I mean. I don't know if it makes sense. <laughs> think yeah i think uh, i mean every everyone that you go to for the finding the true source 
they will all say, okay, first you have to believe that you're not the body and you're the soul. And if you give up looking at materialistic things, then all your problems get solved because most of the problems are related to materialistic things, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's the pure sense. And, you know, then you can solve anything if you just think of it that way. Right. Right. The other approach, the other approach that I have found very useful is to forget about Purusha, forget about the fact that you know that you are the soul or the pure consciousness. Start by following Patanjali's guidelines of eight limbs of yoga. Okay. Patanjali's guidelines. And then once you have followed those guidelines in letter and spirit, okay, then you might reach a point. But that's what Patanjali says. You reach that point where you realize you are the Purusha. You can start without any belief, with any, any faith or anything, but you have to trust what Patanjali says. So you have to have Shraddha in the approach that he has presented. Eight limbs of yoga, Ashtanga yoga. Follow that path, you'll get there. <laughs> That's another like, approach. Just a, just a comment over there, like somebody says, you know, you, you experience sleep every day. And in that state, right, you have no recollection. You, you're nobody, but when you wake up, you said, you know, I had a very good sleep. It's something, so it's, so it's, it's an experience. Uh, again, this is theoretical knowledge, not my experience. <laughs> but this is what we all experience. And what they say is something that you experience in an unconscious state is uh, something you, the same, ex uh, uh, I, I, same experience in a conscious <laughs> state is what uh, a Purusha might uh, feel like. Absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Ashish. That's exactly how we want to eventually uh, experience in our, in our Jagrat Avastha, as they say, you know, there are three Avasthas, three states, Jagrat Avasthas, which is the waking state. Then we have the dream state, which is the Swapna Avastha. And the deep sleep, which you refer to, which is the Sushupti Avastha. So what we experience in the Sushupti or the deep sleep is, is, that, is that element of pure nothingness. Okay. Where your mind is empty at that point, your your physical senses are not functional and you're not bothered by anything. You're in that state of pure, you can call it bliss because there's nothing going on in the mind. But then when you wake up, we're immediately surrounded by all these raga, dvesha and likes and dislikes. So, so that's what we want to do is to cleanse the mind enough so that we can go back to the same experience while being in the, in the Jagrat Avastha, in the waking state, but experience the same thing that we experience in the deep sleep. Very good point, Ashish. I like that. Okay, so now, uh, if it's okay, we always do five minutes of quiet time. We, we close the eyes and stay for five minutes, very quiet. Consider that as personal meditation. Okay, you can.
or closing mantra sequence. So let's keep the spine up. Recite Om once now, deep inhalation. Invocation to Sage Patanjali one more time. You need the screen to read. Yogena chittasya padena vacham malam shairasya chavaidya kena yopakarotam pravaram muninam patanjalim pranjaliranatosmi patanjalim pranjaliranatosmi abahu purushakaram Shankachakrasidharinam Sahasrashirasam Shvetam Pranamami Patanjalim. I bow down with deep respect to my Guru, Sage Patanjali. Shanti Mantra. Om Asatoma Sadgamaya. Tamasoma Jyotir Gamaya Ma Amritam Gamaya Om Shanti Thank you all very much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Do you have any final thoughts or comments? Otherwise, we can close. <laughs> being a part of this. I hope you can join us in future. This is every month on the third Saturday of the month. Every month. Okay. Continue from here now. All right. Thank you. Sure. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.